Hey, movie fans, and welcome back to another episode of the Uncharted Media Podcast. This is episode 94. It is the first episode of the month, so you know what that means. It's five good things. And for some reason, I was just really feeling a certain movie. But not just that, I was really kind of feeling a raw doll kick for some reason. So, this week, we did Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the remake. Um... And I had been told for many, many years to stay away from this movie, like The Black Plague. And I was like, yeah, it looks pretty bad. Because all I'd seen in the trailers or anything was just Johnny Depp's Willy Wonka. And so I stayed clear of it. I have some thoughts about this movie. As do I. And it's, it's a very complicated movie. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but Josh, how are you doing tonight? Chilling like a villain, bro. We're living awesome. large. Josh, living I like will call you out right now. We are chopping up about part of your head right now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just, I'm, just not I'm not good. I'm not good. awkwardly like that for the rest of the show. Okay. <laughs> there I'm you go. Like this, rest of... <laughs> so. Nah. You good. Um, Sorry, so Josh will use his half his head anyway. I mean, not, it's not. I'm not going to deny that. I won't confirm it either. Uh, but I finally finished Rebels season four. Um, Ooh. And I have Ooh, thoughts. We're getting right into what we're watching. Yes. I uh, I have thoughts. I, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm going right in because, bro, I'm too excited. Like, my week doesn't matter. Like, all I did was work and watch movies, and that's it. So <laughs> we're just going to go right in there, okay? <laughs> Um, yeah, I got a lot of stuff for what we watching this week too. Yeah, like surprisingly, amount. <laughs> like I think, uh, what was it last week? I watched like absolutely nothing, and then this week I, I've watched so much. Um, real quick, before we get into Rebels, I uh, I watched A New Hope for the first time, and God, I don't know how long. Um, I thought you were about to say it's just the first time. For the I was first like, time. I'm a Star Wars okay. fan, but I've never seen the original trilogy. <laughs> Um, the best one. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I still think a new hope is my favorite. I, I still think empire is my favorite. I'm not, I'm not, that's a very, very close second. Yeah. Here's the thing though. I hadn't watched it on, uh, on Disney Disney plus Plus? yet. And (gasps) holy cow, does it look gorgeous? Like, oh my goodness. I just go back to the scene where Obi-Wan rescues Luke from the Tusken Raiders Mm. and the detail on the robe. I'm like, I can, I can literally feel the fabric in that. Uh, the scene, like it always gets me, but uh, binary sunset, like, ooh, and we heard. So I have it in, have it on Disney Plus, right? So we're watching it in basically 4K, and I've we've got Not it, basically it is. <laughs> it's going through my dad's surround sound. So like, ooh, I was like, oh, this is alluding to one of our news topics later. This is about as close as I'm going to get to a, a, a movie experience. So it's it's pretty exciting. Uh, but it was, that was amazing. People, amazing. Something, something people don't realize about 4K and why 4K is the best is people seem to always think 4K means better picture, which it does. But also, since 4K is a bigger file size on whatever format you're watching it on, whether it's streaming or actual disc – there's so much more information they could pack on that. So they put it towards the audio too. So like watch a really good movie with good surround sound in 1080 and then watch it again in 4k. It's um, like, I like Endgame. 
watching that with 4K surround sound, oh, that's just chef's kiss right there. That's just mm, so good. It's so good. Um, also, new episode of Fortune Fire was really cool. Uh, and I started – so since Luke and I finished – Luke's my youngest brother. Since Luke and I finished Rebels, I was trying to get something that me, Luke, and Philip could all watch together. And I suggested Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And because I've been like slowly over the years kind of like sliding in some anime in their lives. <laughs> so uh, now we're watching potentially one of my favorite anime of all time. And uh, we're like, I want to say 10 episodes in and we are rocking and rolling, man. They, they like it. So that, that that's going to be a thing that we'll watch that all the way through. Um, but Rebels. Okay. So, so you got to the Canaan. So, okay. So first of all, if you, for those who haven't finished Rebels, we'll put up a spoiler warning, whatever. Uh, spoil. Yeah. Just spoiler alert. Spoiler for sure alert. That ended a couple years ago. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it took me this long to finish it. So I, I can't really, I don't have any, like, uh, I can't really say anything. So, uh, but holy crap, that last season. Holy cow. Um, they, the tone because okay, Luke and I kept going like – I think it was like second episode in or something like that um, where they kind of allude that uh, – they kind of do the bait and switch on you that Sabine's parent, uh, mom and brother get killed by the machine. I think that's towards the beginning of the season. Remember right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like Luke and I was just like, geez, they are not they, – they're going full on right now. Why does this – like every single episode felt like it could be the end of the season. But like then they end it in a certain way. You're like, okay, there's more. Oh man, <laughs> there's more. Um, the Canaan death got me good. Uh, so like, at least for me, you kind of know going into it that Canaan is going to die. One because no Jedi really around in A New Hope, but also true. that whole episode itself is basically like the well, maybe we shouldn't go on this mission thing. Wink, wink, wink. Yeah. Someone might not come back. Yeah. So I was prepared for him to die. I was not prepared for him how he died. I was not, I was yeah. Like, it's it's going to hurt to watch him die, but we're going to make it hurt so much more because, spoiler alert for those that don't watch, um, in the season two finale, Darth Maul makes it so Kanan can't see anymore, like a lightsaber to the eyes type of thing. Um, and so he's blind. But right before he dies, through the Force, he's allowed to see, for one last time, to see the woman that he loves and his apprentice. And I'm just like, gosh. Well, and this is, like, directly after him and Hera have, have finally, finally confessed their feelings for each other. Like, we all knew, and they've kind of, like, not been quiet about it, but they never, like, directly said it either. So it was super, like, oh, that hurt, dude. That hurt hardcore. So I said I have thoughts, okay? And the, this is – I know you put your tinfoil hat on. This is my turn to put my tinfoil hat on, okay? So Mandalorian Season 2 is coming soon, correct? It's like within like the next couple months, actually. Yeah, where's our trailer, Disney Plus? Also, yes, where's our trailer? Also, but my follow my thought process here, okay? Because so, do you remember the final scene of of Rebels in the last episode? What what like final final scene? Like, like in the cave with the cloak on and everything, and the wolf? No, like the final final where it's Sabine getting on a ship 
with Ahsoka going. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's like the problem is Rebels. The finale of Rebels is kind of like Lord of the Rings. If there's a couple different endings, Fair. there's what happens with Ezra. There's yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, there's the thing with Ahsoka and the mural. Then there's that ending. So I'm just like uh, yes. Uh, which, uh, first of all, which, which one? Dave, you're just throwing out the Morpheus gods, like just throwing that into our universe. Okay, cool, whatever. <laughs> Jeez, oh, they just like he like tried to. That, that is, if real tan, quick tangent. If there's any gripe that I have about the final season, it's that it does at times feel like Dave Filoni was like a really big Star Wars nerd who was like, I have one more season, but I want to introduce all this stuff into canon. So let's just throw it here and here and here and here and here and here and here. Um, and so like, there's some stuff that like, I, it, that only gets an episode like the Morpheus gods. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That kind of changes a lot that like, add, that brings a lot of lore. Like you can't just you do that as a throwaway. Episode. I mean, it wasn't a throwaway episode, but still it was like, Bro, that's a lot. Oh, you know, Rebels, had, Rebels has had much bigger throwaway line, yeah. throwaway episodes. Yes. Um, pretty, so the big thing, too, is I'm pretty sure the son was, uh, he looks a lot like Darth Bane, which was very interesting to me. So, but that's nerd stuff. But who, anyway, so. Who is canon again, by the way? Yes, he is. And so is Darth Revan. So, <laughs> let's go. Um, <laughs> uh, Adam Driver for Darth Revan. Oh, jeez. Let's go. Um, that would be weird, actually, now that I think that I say that aloud. <laughs> um, He's just an ancient descendant. <laughs> gosh, I want Darth Revan so bad. Uh, I also really appreciated uh, how uh, they kind of, because it was a little confusing at first where the last season happens. And then that last episode, they're kind of like, and the Battle of Lendor happened like as soon as this happened, blah, blah, blah. So basically that last, if not the last season, the last, the back half of the last season is takes place during, basically during um, the original trilogy. Am I right in saying that? Give or take? Yes. Because yes. That, that, that would be why the rebellion is unable to help them at all and doesn't communicate yeah. with them because they're busy, obviously doing other things. Um, and the rebellion always has communication issues. Yes. Um, so, Back to my original thought process here. Um, so Mandalorian season two is coming out soon, right? And outside of seeing her in a trailer, we've basically confirmed that Ahsoka is going to be in season two, correct? No one's officially confirmed it, okay. but yes. Yes. It's, it feels like it's happening. Yeah, it feels, like, it feels like it's happening. So if that's the case, because of where Rebels leaves Ahsoka – would you think that there's a chance that it we will see Sabine, maybe even Ezra, in a live-action form in Mandalorian? There's a better chance of Sabine, I think. That's what I was thinking as than well. Ezra. That being said, they knew what they're doing with both Ezra and Thrawn. I guarantee you it's not the last time we've seen them. Oh, I hope uh, not. Thrawn is I, awesome. I really kind of hope that Thrawn is the one that's actually... Um, Moff Gideon's boss that we saw at the end of um, Mandalorian season one, when Moff Gideon comes out of the TIE fighter with the dark saber. Mm -hmm. If, if Gideon is like a second in command to Thrawn or something. And Which, I, mm, now, now that we I will finished, get live action Thrawn, I think now that I finished rebels, I'm even more curious as to how Gideon got the dark saber. 
mm-hmm. because that would mean that some certain somebody's dead <laughs> and they've taken Mandalore over it again. I yeah I they've said before I think the dark saber is going to be a very big thing going forward for season two. I mean it's, it's a Mandalorian weapon, so it would be weird if it wasn't. It's true. So you finally finished Rebels. Yes, and that's and you got you're now introducing your brothers to one of your favorite shows of all time. I'm introducing Heather to one of my favorite shows of all time in preparation for something that should be still coming out later this year. The Haunting of Bly Manor. Ooh. So we are now two episodes in on The Haunting of Hill House. <laughs> and oh, it's just so good. It's so good. I forget how good the transitions are between the past and the present. Yes. Of it's so good. Also, just a really random thought that I had when watching it. Uh the dad in the flashback scenes. I kind of really want him for da- for Jake Eric in a flash movie. I could, I would be down for that, absolutely. He's a great actor. He's and- got- I mean, he he's got this like warmth, and I immediately trust him type of role, and that's kind of what I want for a Jake Eric. Yeah. Um, we've been busy with what with stuff we've been watching though, uh, as well as starting the Haunting of Hill House. Normally, we don't watch like two series at the same time. Just yeah. Finish one, we'll finish the other. This is a little different. We're watching Haunting of Hill House and uh, The Last Dance. Now that's on Netflix. Oh yeah. I don't have ESPN. Um, I'm a sucker for a good documentary and. If you're kid of the '90s, Michael Jordan is like a god among men, and anything to peel back that curtain a little bit, and also everything else. I had, I was a huge basketball fan for a couple of years in junior high, um, so this is like right up my alley. And also, I'm I'm always curious to watch it with Heather, who was a big basketball fan as a kid too, um, but also as someone that was closer to the situation than I was, yeah. being from Illinois. I'm just I'm always just like what. Was it different? Because, like, when I grew up, the sports people that I at least heard of, because I didn't follow those sports yet, were, like, Allen Iverson or Donovan McNabb. Yeah. Because I was in the Philadelphia area at the time. So, it's like, I didn't know more than everyone else, but I heard about them more. So, I was just like, Heather, where are you coming from as someone that was in the Illinois at the time? So, it, it's real good. Yeah. Um, I got two more things that we watched. One series and one movie. Uh, Disney Plus just started their new Muppet show, and Kay. it's not bad. Okay, there's only one episode so far. It's closer to traditional Muppets of individual skits, okay, with celebrity guest stars, as opposed to this is the Office. We have a story structure for some reason, which made it super weird. Uh, mm. The format is Scooter is uploading different videos of the Muppets for the main YouTube channel, and they have to meet a certain deadline. So, like, there's Miss Piggy doing a beauty segment, of course, and things go bad, of course. Uh, Kermit the Frog trying to interview RuPaul, but everyone interrupts him. Also, it was pretty good for the most part, but fire whoever's doing voices of Kermit the Frog. <laughs> it's terrible. It's so bad. That's unfortunate. Um, as a whole, it felt more like traditional Muppets as opposed to um, whatever the heck they've been doing for the past decade. Looking at you, <laughs> Jason Siegel. Uh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> and last but not least, um, Heather and I, I had not seen it in a lot of years and Heather hadn't seen it period, but now that it's on HBO max, we watched blazing saddles. Yes. That's a movie you couldn't make in the, in today's climate. <laughs> oh no. And that HBO max even has that little like history of disclaimer, like talking about the movie. It's just like, well, the words at the time were okay. 
because they're making fun of an old, even older time period. But I'm looking at it going, yes, I could tell what jokes were written by Mel Brooks and what jokes were written by Richard Pryor because, oof. Yes. I'll be laughing out loud next moment and then I'll just be cringing uncomfortably the next. Of, it's tough, bro. It's... I like Blazing Saddles, but it'll never be one of my favorite Mel Brooks movies. There's too many no. other classics. It's got it's got some really, really solid jokes, but like you said, it's just too many of them are followed up by like really, really cringy ones. So it's like uh, And not cringy at like YouTube cringe, but just like purposely trying to make you uncomfortable cringe. Yes. It is oh I mean I I, I my, my favorite my favorite bit is still the the look at my hand. You see how steady it is? Yeah, man, that's that's amazing. Well, this is my shooting man. It's <laughs> like whoa! whoa. <laughs> I love at the end though, them literally breaking the fourth wall. Yes, it's the best. To go into someone else's movie. It's it's, it's well, what you do in a Mel Brooks film. Um, we have one major news topic off the top that I didn't do a graphic for because I didn't figure we were going to talk about it very long, and that is the XFL, Josh. <laughs> Yeah. Did you see this? Did you see this? I did. And uh, a part of me is like, yeah, if anybody's going to do it, it's going to be The Rock. Like, So, uh, Josh, explain to the the people's champ at home uh, what, what the news is today. So, basically, uh, for those that don't know, XFL was a football league. Um, that designed by Vince Vincent Kennedy McMahon of the, the Vincent w- Kennedy McMahon of WWE. Um, just as I want to say, it's just as an alternative because there's not exactly a lot different about it. Um, um, I'll say though, compared to when the XFL launched the first time, I saw one or two XFL games. Yeah. I kind of hope it sticks around. Yeah, it was fun. Because it was different enough from um, the NFL. Yes. Like, there's little changes that they would do that I was like, that's, I kind of like that. And it wasn't idiotic like the first time Vince did the XFL. But my big problem that I always had with the XFL, both the first time and the second time, is Vince knows diddly squat about football. He's born and raised into a um, sports entertainment world. And wrestling world. Those are two very different things, as he will tell you. Um, but he doesn't know football. And that was always the problem. Um, I felt bad that the league got canceled this year because of Corona, because it was actually it was doing pretty cool. well. Yeah. For a I startup league, it wasn't too bad. So The Rock and his his company that he works with and is partnered with somebody else has agreed to acquire the XFL for $15 million, to which I'm going, is that it? Yeah. It doesn't sound like very much. But here's where I'm interested. It kind of merges two things that The Rock is known for. Um, of more entertainment and sports. Kind of makes me think of his Ballers uh, show, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, mixed with... No one ever talks about it anymore because I don't know why. But guys, The Rock is an ex-football player. He played for the University of Miami. So this is like right up his alley. It is much and, more than it was for Vince. And I'm going, you know what? I think this is nothing but positive here. Yes. This is incredibly good news for all parties involved. I think I agree. I, the big thing too is, um, 
I mean, maybe it's because the Roughnecks in, in Houston were undefeated, bro, in the season that we had. That's but, like having an A in homeschool. <laughs> hey. Hey, wait a second. That's a low blow. <laughs> That's mean. Um, but no, yeah, like it's just like it was entertaining. It was different, like you said, different enough from foot, from NFL, which and like in some ways it was more exciting too. So it was maybe it was just because it was fresh and new, but I don't know. But yeah, it, like any if it was gonna like I said, it was if it was gonna be anybody, it should be Dwayne the Rock Johnson because like he's got a background for this stuff between all the kind of the the sports shows that he's the the like athletic shows. You know what I mean? Like Titans and yeah. Like, all these other – he's done a couple other ones that are really cool. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like this is up right up his alley and I don't see why not. Also, yeah, for only $15 million, bro, they're going to take this so, up the whole another level. Yeah. Um, I will always say that Vince man, is a very smart um, wrestling business mind. Well, at least he was. The problem is any of his outside ventures outside WWE never do well. I think in that regard, The Rock has a much smarter and more savvy business mind. The Rock, almost everything he touches turns to gold, not just from a movie standpoint, but he's got multiple companies and businesses that he runs as side hustles that are almost nothing but positives for him. Of He's got that um, deal with Nike that's like massive. Mm-hmm. He's got his own movie studio. Um so he's a very smart businessman. I think this goes well. Also, unlike a certain McMahon, The Rock listens to feedback and will accept and collaborate with others. So I I see this as nothing but a win. I think this is great for those of us that were kind of hoping the XFL stuck around. And also, this is good for people that hadn't checked out the XFL. The fact that it's getting more seasons, I think, is really cool. It This just seems like a perfect fit and probably what it should have started with. Yeah, um, yeah, um, I mean, it, it'll be a good fit, and you know, sky's the limit at this point. Go rough next. All right, <laughs> Josh, you ready to get in our main topics this week? Let's do it, my man. Let's dive right because, in. Because, boy, I've got one. Our first one. I feel like I have a rant, but the time so much time has passed since the news first broke that I'm kind of calmed down about it. But boy, I'm still pissed. Um, because. Universal, not Universal, they're partially to blame for this, but AMC more or less has turned into full-on Benedict Arnold here. Yeah. Um, AMC has been controlled, manipulated, and has stabbed the backs of everybody in the movie industry right now. So um, I know Josh has shared the graphic with you on Facebook of just think of Lord of the Rings, Grima is Universal just talking and whispering in the ear of King Theoden, who is AMC in this situation. So what we're talking about is AMC is on the verge of bankruptcy. They, I thought, had made a deal with somebody um, that was going to help bail them out. I thought, okay, that's the end of it. AMC is slowly going to climb their way back, and it's going to be fine. Well, we get word now that they, AMC, has made a deal with Universal to shorten the release window for movies on demand that were originally due for theatrical releases from 90 days to 17 days. So theoretically you could have a movie like fast and furious nine come out in theaters 
and 17 days later, see it on demand at home. Some of you are thinking, oh, that's awesome. Others are thinking like me of, you have just damned us all. You have just... The analogy that I go with is there is a dam set up like the Hoover Dam that on one side of it is streaming and one side of it is the theatrical experience. AMC just took a big, huge pickaxe and just took a big swing at the dam and poked a hole in it. They didn't bring the whole dam down yet, but that water's coming rushing through and soon enough that dam is going to break and... I mean, 17 (sighs) days is like two and a half weeks, bro. Like that's not even – I I can wait two, two and a half weeks to see a movie on demand. But like it, it's would – ra- Would you rather do that though? No. That's the thing. Like, I would rather do that. I don't it's understand like, why – Some people say I would rather see it at home. Well, that's you. But also uh, it's, it's what I always quote with The Phantom Menace of you and whoever form a symbiotic circle. If something happens to one of you, it's going to happen to the other. Realize, if we don't have theatrical movies anymore, the movies probably will never fully die. But going to the movies will be as in style as going to the drive-ins, which is popular now. But honestly, before COVID, when was the last time you personally went to a drive-in theater? Yeah. They're very niche and select. That's what theater experiences are going to be. And do you think, oh, that's fine. I have a good setup in my house. Okay. Think of it this way. Movie the- movie studios themselves make most of their money through a theatrical window. So Universal doesn't technically have to pull something from 17 days if they don't want, if they have a big blockbuster. Um, but if they do that and people start going to streaming and don't go to the theaters anymore, studios aren't going to have as much money to spend on movies. You'll see lower budget movies and somebody going, well, that'll inspire more creative ideas and get people to think outside the box. No, it just means you have cheaper movies and so long to movies like Endgame that cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Big budget spectacle type movies will go to the way of the dodo. We will not see big large scale movies anymore. The theatrical experience, as we know, has been dealt a huge blow already this year with COVID. More and more people are going, yeah, I'll just watch this at home. Like, sometimes that's a good thing. I was not going to pay good money to see Scoob. I saw it on HBO Max. I still wanted my money back. But if I had to, like, not see Scoob at all, and it never existed, or see it in the theater, I'd see it in the theater because I want the theater to survive. It is a special place. And AMC is so desperate to survive. It is such a short-sighted decision that they have made. It's... I have just been shot in the head. I'm not dead yet. I'm just massively bleeding out really, really quick. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take this lifesaver candy, and I'm going to be okay. No! That's the complete opposite of what you need to be doing in this situation. And because you are in a bad spot, you think, okay, I'm not just going to grab the life preserver and try and pull myself up. I'm going to just sink the entire ship. Regal's doing fine. Cinemark is doing fine. They're planning on reopening soon. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. But AMC's going, screw you all. We want to stay in business. But it's not even a smart we're going into business for ourselves. It's a we're letting Universal just dig into our back pocket, pull out our wallet, and go, screw you. We know you're hurting. Now, Universal's kind of the bad guy here. But at the same time, I don't blame them. They're, they're lions looking at the weakened deer that's about to die. But... <sighs> 
what are you doing, AMC? Both of you. Like, we knew Universal and AMC were already butting heads with the Trolls World Tour thing. And again, <laughs> I told this to Heather last week. Who would have thought the Trolls World Tour would be the Cody Rhodes of the movie theater world of yeah. one little decision changes the entire landscape of a given entertainment business. Um, but Universal was already in hot water. This was not the solution for AMC. Like, this is probably one of the single dumbest decisions I have ever seen a company do. And I just saw you appoint Bob Chapek as CEO. This is just... I don't understand this this is the most short-term solution i've ever seen for what is a long-term problem amc everyone's hurting right now but your decision pro okay just because you got shot in the arm doesn't mean you have to take the gun out and shoot everyone else on your team five times yeah it's just beyond baffling to me there's more that i have to say on this one of this whole story might not be done but, um, Josh, you hear about AMC's, for lack of a better term, utterly treacherous actions. What do you make of it? It's two and a half weeks is not long enough. Um, it's not just like from a money standpoint, you're not going to make your money back in two and a half weeks. Especially if people are like, well, I can just pay the same price and watch it at home. Um, it's just not going to be – it's not enough time. Now, if you were to sit here and be like, okay, cool. So they're making a new deal to shorten the window that movies are only going to be in theaters for about 30 days. That makes sense to me. That's but so much better. It is. It but makes That makes sense literally to Literally cut it into a fourth? Yeah. But two and a half weeks, I can wait two and a half weeks. That's not hard for but, me. I mean sometimes like Endgame, I had to avoid things – for for two, well, almost two weeks because I couldn't I could just I time wise I couldn't get to the theater and so, and it was sold out so many times so it was like I I two and a half weeks is isn't isn't long enough um I'm hoping it's a temporary deal uh maybe it is maybe it's not I don't know at this point like you said it's he, he they're just trying to bail water out with what well, they're trying to bail water out of the boat with a with a screwdriver it's just not working um they're in fact they're probably hurting themselves more than they're they're helping um but time will tell um i'd like to think people the general movie going audience likes going to movies over watching them at home um i think i don't think anybody like to say that too but yeah, i don't believe I, it anymore but yeah I, I i can't i haven't talked to enough people I do know people hate paying so much for snacks, but still. But that's one of my biggest pet peeves is people. Do you enjoy going to the movies? Then shut up about your snacks. Literally snacks is like the only way theaters make money. I swear to you because you think, oh, but they sell movie tickets. You do realize most of that money goes to the studios so the studios can keep making more monies for you to see in the theater. The theater have to find some way to make money themselves because they have staff. They have to screen stuff. They have to pay to show those movies. It, it's just one of my biggest pet peeves. Of, my snack's too expensive. Then bring your own. There is actually no rule saying you can't bring your own snacks. Yeah, I think, like they, I think they – Mom and pop shops. Yeah. But whatever. 
Yeah, AMC so, was big on that. Was like, no, you can't bring your bring in your own snacks. So I was like, okay. Well, look where that got you, AMC. Yeah. Um. So here's where I said that this might not be entirely done. So this deal is just Universal and AMC, and they have just made themselves a lot of enemies. Um. But it's really complicated because Regal didn't make this deal with Universal. Cinemark didn't make this deal with. Uh, Universal. No other theater chains did this except AMC, who's the one most desperate for it. So, what happens at the end of the 17 days and a Universal movie showing in Regal or Cinemark? They might not legally be allowed to show their stuff on streaming because, or video on demand, because it's still playing in some other branches um, theater that they might not legally be able to do that. So, it's confusing of like saying this hand my right hand makes the decision for me to sign this paper but the rest of me is like no that doesn't really work i if i put my hand behind my back okay now what's going to happen because every the body of movie theaters is literally that it's a body so if one hand isn't knowing what the other hand's doing it's not going to work out of uh, one specific part of the body cannot control everything else except for the brain, which would probably be the, the uh, it's like NATO stands for something. That's like the brain trust of all the theaters. So this is just a really weird spot. It makes AMC look bad. It might not even happen because there's other theater chains in the world besides AMC. It's just, come on, AMC. How dumb can you be? This is probably one of the worst choices you could have made in this situation. Yeah. It's, we'll see what happens. Well, speaking of theaters... Yeah. I guess they're opening. Um, Mid-August, apparently. I mean, some stuff has already been opened. Like I said, the Cinemark um, at, near me at CityWalk at Universal has been opened, but they've been shown old movies. Uh, but now it seems like there's actual dates for Regal is supposedly opening August 21st. And AMC, I don't care anymore. When you open, you deserve to die for what you've tried to do. Um, I'm I'm fine with this because... Now we can still, theaters can open the 21st and New Mutants can come out the next week and Tenant can come after the week after that and it has to stew knowing it came in second place. <laughs> um, and I'm but, so, I've said it, I said it last week and I'll say it again, I'm okay with that. <laughs> yep, me too. Um, Josh, you excited to hear theoretically that the theaters are opening and would you go? Oh yeah, if you I'm going to go. I mean, uh, I need to find out because I'm in a new town and because I moved here in a pandemic, I don't know what's going to, what, what, if anything will be open. I know there's a movie theater near me, but it looks like a, like a mom and pop kind of place. And there's been no mm. movement outside of it, like at all. So we'll see what happens, man. Uh, I would love to go to a theater, but I'm not going to drive 20, 30 minutes to go to a theater. So. Fair. Um, yeah, I've still I've gone to a theater since for some of the old movies, and I again, I've always wondered why the theaters are one of the last places to close. Theme parks open before movie theaters. I still think that's a stupid idea because I feel a whole lot safer in a movie theater where you can tell me where to sit, you can section everything off, and just be like, keep, just keep your mask on the whole time. That's fine. I feel a whole lot safer doing that than a whole lot of other stuff that is open and available right now. Yeah, um, I would agree. So I, 
I think it's more of a money thing of why theaters haven't really opened anytime soon of theaters going, well, we can only make about 25% of what we were making before. So the re-releases are really helping. And I have been adamantly keeping an eye on what is being re-released and being like, okay, so this theater showing this, this theater showing this, um, cause like the, uh, universal city walk theater this past weekend had like Jurassic park in IMAX. And I was like, Ooh, I'm real tempted to, that, but also they had, that um, would be cool. They had, a. Uh, I think it was Blazing Saddles or no Spaceballs. They had Spaceballs oh, in theaters. So I, like, I, I should have gone to see that. Like they are at least changing some movies out each weekend. So it's not the same. There's some stuff that stays every weekend, like some of the classic universal stuff, but there's others that they switch out every weekend. And I'm totally okay with that. Now, if we come around to September or October and there's still no new movies, please universal city walk, put some of your classic movie monsters on. Cause I would kill to see the Invisible Man, the the original one on the big screen. I've seen Halloween. I would love to see like an American were- Werewolf in London on the big screen, or mm. um, yeah, just keep up. But then again, I think by then, by September October, we should theoretically still have some new releases. Um, yeah. And this is all very tentative. It seems like everything. Being a baseball fan right now, I know everything is day to day because yes, we have baseball season. Miami Marlins have six positive players. St. Louis Cardinals have positive players. I'm like, gosh, dang it, guys. Yeah. We were so close. And then your your Astros are 0 for 28 and hitting, and it makes me happy. I mean, yeah, but then you got the Dodgers throwing stuff at us, so it's like, okay, whatever. And then he gets suspended for eight games for no apparent reason. Eight games is very, like, a little harsh, but it's like, okay. Especially in a 60-game season. Well, don't throw balls at people. Anyway, don't, um, don't hit trash cans to cheat. <laughs> okay, don't you can't you want to you want to get on this track? Let's get on this track. It's not like nobody else in the league does it. It's true. I'm still waiting on that investigation on the Yankees that were suddenly dropped mysteriously because it's the because... Yankees. Okay, the only reason yes. is because it's the Astros, and we have always been the bottom of the barrel. And now all of a sudden, we worked hard and we've got to this point, and everybody does it. Did but... you work hard though? Did you work hard? That's the problem is you could have worked hard for every year except for 2017 when you cheated. And because of that one year, everything else is tarnished. No, because you, we don't say that about the pa- the Patriots. Patriots. No, we say every lot. championship they have is tarnished. I mean, fair, but yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's whatever. At the end of the day. The Dodgers, it, I was at one of the last home games. It's the Dodgers were hitting just as much as we were. We just hit more. Um, but I don't know, dude. It's whatever. At the end of the day, we have you know, it's bad when I'm defending don't. the Dodgers. The Do- I don't give a I don't care, dude. We got a championship. It is what it is. <laughs> we still have the nicer ballpark. Yep. Because Coors Field is one of the nicest ballparks ever. And I wish I could go back in time to see when it was created in 95. But looks like I'm not the one that's going back in time, though. Oh, yeah? Because seems like... Oh, it's not seems like. It is now confirmed um, that Flash director Andy Muschietti uh, speaking... Uh, who was he speaking to? I should know this. But in an interview recently, <laughs> uh, 
confirmed to us that time travel will be the main plot point for the upcoming Flash movie, in which case he did confirm that Barry will be going back in time to save his mother as the focal plot. He says it's going to have a lot of action and a lot of heart. So this seemingly just kind of confirms to us what we've all been speculating for a while now, that it's going to be some version of Flashpoint. But it's just nice to hear it from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah. The director's saying, yes, this is going to be a time travel movie. Um, uh, this being confirmed for you, Josh, does this make you more interested, less interested? What do you, what do you feel about this? I'm... <laughs> I'm fine with it. Like, yeah, if you're going to do do Flashpoint Paradox, you obviously you have to do time travel. Um, but... I'm with the idea that the directors for like Rick and Morty have kind of put in my head too. Now it's like, once you deal with time travel, you start opening up all kinds of issues for yourself. So at the end, at the end of the day, I'm down for flashpoint paradox. I am down for alternate versions of that. Just be careful. (laughs) Don't, don't, I mean, it's not like W uh, the the uh, DC universe is known for being good at coherency. Yeah, just be careful, guys, because the moment you start doing time travel and not as kind of I see, like I'm saying this, but then I'm I'm thinking of of Endgame, and it's like Endgame did time travel, but it didn't feel like time travel at the same time. You know what I mean? So I, mm-hmm. and there's stuff that happened in Endgame that they still there's been they're not probably going to ever address, and that really makes me mad. Um, but I don't know, dude. I'm down for it. I just need them to get their heads out of their butts and just give us a plot, give us a trailer, do something. I mean, they can't. Do well, they trailer. can't do anything right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, dude. I think they'll say stuff at Fandom. Um. I think you and I have talked about this before. We are both very excited for this movie and our issues with this movie have nothing to do with Andy Muschietti. Sure. I did not like it. Chapter two, nearly as much as the first one, but I think he's still a really competent director. Uh, if I remember correctly, he did uh, mama, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, our issues is not with Andy Muschietti. It still comes down to Ezra Miller. Yeah. It's not so much. It at one point it was a, we don't like his portrayal. It's still that, but now it's also compounded with the, you both, Ezra Miller and Warner Brothers, are still really suspiciously quiet about that whole, I assaulted a woman in a bar thing, and Mm -hmm. you kind of hope that it would go away, and unfortunately, I think that's the approach WB is going to have with it, of, it was nothing, Um, it didn't happen, just like we've heard nothing about recasting Amber Heard for Aquaman, even though, um... If anybody should be recast, it's probably her. Yeah. More so than Ezra Miller. Um, but it's just I want to be excited for Flash, but at the same time, it's kind of like a, not to the extent of Jeepers Creepers, but kind of that situation of like it's going to be really hard to separate um the actor from the performance. Like, yes, there's been some rough individuals with some interesting past before like when robert Downey jr was cast as iron man he didn't come from the best place but the thing is 
he would apologize for those mistakes and he was on a path to get better. Ezra yeah. has never come out and addressed his situation or apologized. If he just apologized for what happened or even offered clarification, if there's any form of clarification at all, I would be the first to say, okay, we misread the situation. We were wrong about this. Ezra, go do your thing. Still not a big fan of your interpretation, but I'm more than willing to give you a chance. Um, because actually, now that I think about it, we haven't seen his interpretation of the Flash, what it was supposed to be. We've seen Joss Whedon's version of the Flash. True. Which, I and guarantee again, you the Flash is going to be portrayed differently. Which, you know what? And then again, maybe that'll that Zack Snyder's cut will help that. But at the same time, like his cut isn't canon, so it doesn't matter. But I, I don't know, dude. I'm just – Ezra's not my cup of tea. I mean I like him in other things. Just he's not a – my he's not my flash i guess and maybe yeah i don't know dude it, it, it's not it's just a weird thing but at, like we said at the end of the day time travel is fine as long as you do it right yes i like a good time travel movie if it's yeah. done correctly i like back to the future one and two and parts of three um i've joked before of if this movie ever gets made i want the next back to the future to be flash back to the future um but i want be excited about this i really do but it's just with the numerous delays that this movie has had for what feels like six to seven years now it should have come out in like 2018 or something if i remember right yeah um with the with a lot of the uncertainty and controversy surrounding it i want to be excited and the premise sounds fantastic but i just can't get that excited yet um there's a lot of possibilities i like i've said i want a good jay garrick i think jay garrick is fantastic um, I'm really excited about the potential for Michael Keaton in this Flash movie as like an alternate reality Batman. Um, I I really want to get excited, but until it's like the Black Adam movie, until things actually start happening, I can't get excited because we've been down this road so many times before. Yeah. Also, Uncharted. Um, but we'll we'll see. Wow, I was about to say next month, but it's later this month in a few weeks at yeah. Fandom. What they have to tell us about. Um, so we'll see. Uh, next up, I am, I'm pretty excited about this for the most part. And that is that Courtney Cox is returning to her role as Gail Weathers in the upcoming Scream sequel reboot. I See, they keep saying that it's kind of like a revitalization or a reboot. But yet they're bringing a lot of the original cast back. I'm like, is this a Halloween situation where we're just going to ignore like two, three, and four? Or, it would or be is really this a sequel if they did or what? That. Yeah. I, but there's nothing. Uh, I'm trying to remember. It's been a while since I've screen, seen Scream. If there's any like big earth shattering revelations that would change the narrative if you took out three and four i mean um i've never i personally have never been that big of a fan of scream and i'm gonna get shot for that but no i think only half of them are good yeah i just like i get it i get what they're going for and it's just not my it's not my thing so um i'm excited for this for one reason one reason only and that is when scream 4 was coming out I thought, because I only saw Scream 4 like a year or two ago, I thought it got spoiled for me that um, Courtney Cox was the villain in 4. So when I actually got around to watching it, she wasn't. 
And I was kind of disappointed because the story kind of sets her up to be because in f- the fourth one, she's like a has been reporter that's always looking for the next like mm-hmm. big scoop. And so it makes sense for her to be the villain in that she starts up a whole new slew of murders just so she can have the spotlight again. And I would really kind of like for that to be the narrative for her in Scream 5, whatever we're calling this. Because I'll be honest, of the original cast that keeps coming back for each Scream movie, she is my least favorite one. And I think that's intentional, but I'm just not a Courtney Cox fan, <laughs> either on Friends or in Scream. I'm just like, I'm, I want you back. For one of two things, either to be the villain this time or to die like Drew Carey, not Drew Carey. That's a very different movie. Drew Barrymore yeah. at the beginning. Um, how shocking would that be if she dies real quickly? Um, the real question, the one that's still kind of lingering out there and the one that really matters is, so we get David Arquette back for Scream 5. We have Courtney Cox back. Are we getting Nev Campbell, the most important character to get back for Halloween? It's like... Saying, yes, we're making Halloween, but we're not bringing Jamie Lee Curtis back. That wouldn't be a good idea. Same thing with Nev Campbell here. So I kind of hope they do, but we haven't heard anything yet. Um, Do you see Nev Campbell coming back or do you not care, Josh? (laughs) I don't give a darn. (laughs) I just don't care about Scream. It it never it never like connected with me. Did you see um, did you see Ready or Not? I don't think so. I I've seen one, maybe two, and I saw the Ready or Not. No, sorry, There's I was only talking one about Ready or Not. Sorry, I was I was talking about Scream. I'm sorry. Uh, have th- you seen Ready or Not? I have not. No, it's by those guys. Which, while I wasn't the biggest fan of it, it gives me faith in the Scream movies going forward. Okay, well, I uh, could be fun, could be absolute garbage, kind of like how I feel about uh, about Jigsaw. Or, uh, or uh, well, spiral, spiral. Sorry, spiral. Yeah. yeah, spiral could be interesting. It could but it be. Could be a train wreck. I don't know. Yeah, I don't it, think of that either. Who knows? I mean, the trailer looks cool. Uh, the concept is interesting. We don't know the timeline, so that kind of like adds to the intrigue. But yeah, I mean, I'm still going to be the first one. I'm still going to claim that I was the first one to bring up the fact that this might not be in the time period that we think it is. I think that this might actually be set even before the first Saw movie. No, oh, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be. Surprised. I haven't watched the trailer in a while, but we don't see anything that would give it away that it's set in the now, I don't believe. Everything um, looks like, old is the thing. Everything looks a little outdated. Like they might try and do that twist from uh, Final Destination, the fourth or fifth one, mm-hmm. when everything comes back full circle. Um, so we shall see. Uh, this next one, I kind of care, but not really. Primarily more just because I'm not super familiar with the video game franchise. And that is, apparently, Netflix is developing a, I believe, yeah, animated Splinter Cell series by the writer of John Wick. Now, I never really played the Splinter Cell games for one of two reasons. Did play a lot of violent video games growing up, but two... If I recall correctly, Splinter Cell is a stealth-based game. And if anybody of you have watched me play video games for a little bit, stealth is, like, the worst thing in the world for me. I am so bad at it. Like, Uncharted or The Last of Us. I'll get, like, one, maybe two goons and go, all right, I got him. Look, he's over there. 
Okay. I know this is supposed to be stealth, but yippee ki mother effer. We're going um, in guns blazing. Leroy Jenkins. I'd rather be Leroy Jenkins than Snake Plissken. But, uh, Josh, did you play uh, Splinter Cell as a kid? Not at all. Not but- at all. <laughs> I was busy with other games, more entertaining games. Uh, this feels like Tom Clancy trying to do things again. Um, I don't care. Sure, why not? But then again, Netflix has kept has promised lots of things and said they're in development and they weren't. So, hmm. looking at you, Magic you Treehouse, Narnia, yeah, Narnia, um, sure, whatever. <laughs> yeah, the only reason I'm partially interested in this is the involvement of the writers of John Wick. So maybe I, I think it hurts it being animated. Like, why? Also, I feel like there's been talk of a Splinter Cell movie for years. So is that now off the table? I mean, they've done um, versions of it for of Splinter I, Cell like multiple times. I thought they were also doing a Metal Gear Solid movie, but that seems I to be hope. like perpetually that seems to be like perpetually in limbo and never happening. Yeah, I hope um, that never happens, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I I could be interested in this um, because as it stands right now at some point i think you and i josh need to revisit our first ever podcast discussion actually which was talking about video game movies because i think from when we recorded that to now i won't say there's been a complete 180 but there's definitely been a shift in a different direction with um Alicia Vikander's Tomb Raider movie, which, mm. not great, but it's fine. Detective Pikachu, while not my favorite movie, significantly better than a lot of other video game movies out there. Yeah. Um, Sonic being supposedly really positive. I need and to see it still. <laughs> I've seen the everything great about, so I've more or less seen most of the good stuff. And it, I'm like, okay, I kind of want to see this whole movie now because it actually seems funny. Um, I think people are starting to end the Witcher, the Witcher being the biggest example mm-hmm, of getting mm-hmm. video game source material correct. I think there's a slow shift towards more positive content being adapted from video games. It's still going to be a, whenever it's a massive ship, it's going to take a while to change its course and put it on the right path. Yeah, so uh, it's yeah. going to be a slow thing, but I think we're on that direction of, okay, we're getting a last of a series from HBO. So I think that's going to be great. Uncharted is still up in the air. Um, so I think people are kind of realizing, okay, maybe we should just get fans of the material, but also good, competent filmmakers to do this stuff. Yeah. Um, so we shall see. Again, not super interested, but it's got potential at least. Yeah. And I, I think that you, you hit on something that's pretty key in that um, you have to have good, competent film filmmakers and fans of the material like because you sent me that uh pitch meeting video uh earlier uh dragon ball yeah it's fan about dragon ball okay it's obvious whoever made it and wrote it is has knows nothing and didn't care to know anything about the dragon ball z series so it's like it's one of those okay well I mean, it was shot okay and the graphics were fine the it, it wasn't exactly the best 
how do we say it wasn't the best adaptation adaptation and but not necessarily from a director or filmmaker for point of view it wasn't perfect but it definitely felt like okay well let's figure out how to make something from this script um so i mean yeah you i think that you've got to have a good balance of competent filmmakers and um fans of the material but not too big fans looking at you D movie oh boy so uh, we're talking about adaptations with Dragon Ball, and our five good things today is an adaptation. But before we get to that, Josh, you got a sponsor for us this week? I do. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Yeti. <laughs> when you want to pay for too much for a water bottle, get Yeti. Okay. Okay. I don't know why. Maybe my brain is in a weird spot. Um, but I was like, wait, aren't Yeti's microphones? <laughs> No, those are small balls. Same thing. <laughs> Welcome yeah. to the Himalayas. <laughs> Don't eat the yellow snow. I promise this is lemon. So our discussion topic today, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. I went into this wanting to hate it. And some parts of it, I really do. But it wasn't the anger and vitriol that I thought it would be by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination. So this, what, you're, what you're saying is you didn't hate this as much as um, Catwoman. I don't think I could hate anything <laughs> as much as I hated Catwoman. So Heather and I are watching it. And for like the at least the first 20 minutes, I'm going... Why do people hate this? Yeah. This is actually really good. But... Granted, this is before they get to the factory. Yes. Because <laughs> anything before the factory, I was actually really liking. And we'll talk about it later, but like the aesthetic, I actually was kind of digging. Um, some of the humor actually hit. It felt like good Tim Burton and not weird Tim Burton. Yes. So some backstory for this week. Um, I know I say this a lot, but Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is one of my all-time favorite favorite childhood books. books so for this week this week i put in more study and work than i have any other five good things episode in particular because i went back and watched the gene wilder movie which is good but there's actually some things in this one that i think are better than the original but also yeah. i dug this out from my bookshelf a old school 1970s edition of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Wow, that is look so, at you. That is so worn and beat up because I've read it so much. Um, but also, I think reading this helps me appreciate this movie more for a lot of reasons that we'll get into. Um, that I'm going to say something that's going to piss some people off. I'm sure of it, but I don't care. I think, on paper, Tim Burton was the perfect person to direct this. Agreed. Because if you look at the original book, that I, if I remember correctly, um, no, actually, no, illustrated by somebody else. But the art style in this version, the old school book, the pictures and the images are kind of weird and creepy and have a very 
Tim Burton design. Everyone is very slender and angular, long features like long bodies, long fingers, which if that's not Tim Burton, I don't know what is. <laughs> now, we can have a discussion about his execution in the movie, um, but on paper, I think Tim Burton was the right guy at the time to do this because as much as people think about the um, the Gene Wilder, Willy Wonka, it's not as family-friendly as that version of the movie was. Mm-hmm. Roald Dahl books are for kids, but they're not kid-friendly. Like, <laughs> so many kids have been traumatized by the witches. Yeah. Or, um, guys, you do know there's a sequel called Charlie and the Great Glass Elevator, right? And if you thought there's some weird stuff in this movie... You need to read the sequel, in which case they go to outer space in the elevator. Yeah. Um, and run into the strawberry people. <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> Raw Doll books are not the Gene Wilder movie. I love that movie, but at the same time, on paper, Tim Burton is probably actually the right guy because Raw Doll stuff is a little bit out there. Yeah. No, it, it's, it's really weird, and there's a lot of stuff in here, and I think you and I are going to have not a fight, but a serious discussion about a certain character at some point in, in, in this uh, this uh, good five good things. Um, but yeah, it's super weird. But at the same time, the way that Tim Burton puts things together, at least like you said, in that first 20 minutes, right up until the point we get to the factory, I'm enjoying the crap out of this movie. Like. Yeah. Production design is great. Yeah. It felt like at that point, the original Gene Wilder one is trying to be, this is the real world. Whereas Tim Burton is going, oh no, screw that. I want this to feel like a kid's story. And he goes out of his way to make it feel like a children's story of the house doesn't feel like a real house. It's got weird slants and angles like a German expressionist movie. Yeah. Uh, It's, it feels very, it doesn't feel real but it fully embraces the not real feeling because again, Charlie and the chocolate factory is a kid's fantasy. Yes. It's got weird elements. And again, I'll talk about it later, but I could tell this book meant a lot to Tim Burton as a kid. Yes. Because there's a lot of love and care in this, in this film. It, there really is a lot. Um, now, I still will not forgive either Tim Burton or the guy that did the original Willy Wonka for still not getting the most important detail right, and that that is Willy Wonka is not tall. <laughs> Willy Wonka comes up to Charlie's waist, dang it. <laughs> I'm that much of a stickler for the original book. Okay, well, you know what? If that's the case, I deserve Tom Hardy as Wolverine. <laughs> See, okay, it's much more reasonable to ask for a short Wonka then for two separate act to the play for one actor to play two roles in a same, maybe same universe, like not the same ballpark, not even the same sport, man. Come on. <laughs> I'm playing football, but it's spelled F U T F U T B O L football. Like, okay. And even then, once we get to, um, the factory. Yes. I don't fully hate it. There's just a lot of cringe to it. 
Well, and it's like a lot of cringe. Yeah. We'll talk about it here in a bit, but that there's some, there's certain things that happen that I, while I don't love Johnny Depp's performance, I appreciate it. Yeah. I don't have anything positive to say actually about Johnny Depp's performance. I think that's the single biggest weakness of this entire movie. And it like, I think everything around the movie is actually good to great, except for him. And honestly, I would really enjoy this movie if you just recasted him or have him do a different type of character than Neverland Ranch Michael Jackson. Fair. I'll give it to you. Okay. All right. Let's get into this proper. Josh, what was your number five? Number five is... uh, (laughs) Um... So the running gag for the for the Willy Wonka films, both the Gene Wilder one and this one, is that Uncle Joe is actually the villain of the whole film. And for the first 20 minutes, they do try to kind of make him a more redeemable character. But I appreciate that they go full they go full tilt into the fact that he's like, "Woo, I can walk now. Like what? I'll talk. Know, like there, it's obvious, like that Uncle Joe is uh, <clears throat> has been faking it this whole time, and the dad kind of like n- like no understands and says a couple things towards it. But I'll yeah, I'll I'll leave it there because I have thoughts about a couple different characters, but yeah, they're later on my list. Yeah, um, I just I love that we that even Tim was like, yeah, Uncle Joe is a dick. <laughs> Okay, so my number five is a character that I hate the fact that they're in this movie because it honestly makes no logical sense and it's so distracting and jarring for the rest of the movie. That being said, the actor is still giving 100% in this role even though I don't think they were needed at all because I don't think this guy knows how to do a bad performance and that's Christopher Lee as Wonka's dad. Yes! (laughs) Like... I don't think Christopher Lee knows how to be bad in a movie. He is so good. I have issues with the fact that he's in this movie at all as a character of like, I've never cared to know who Wonka's dad was. This is kind of bizarre and I don't really care. But at the same time, I care about Christopher Lee a lot because he's great. And Tim Burton just loves his old school hammer horror. And so he'll just keep casting Christopher Lee and stuff. Um, I don't think the character at all was necessary. That being said, I will still acknowledge a great performance when I see one, and that's Christopher Lee for this entire movie, and I kind of wanted more of him and less of Johnny Depp. It's like if Count Dooku uh, found Earth and left the Sith Order and decided to be a dentist. <laughs> oh. So, would that make him count Chocula? Yes, it would. That's exactly what it would make him. <laughs> All right, so, I'll segue that to my number four. And this is going to be my most controversial one because this is one that's either going to be, you're either going to love it or you're going to hate it. And it's, I guess, kind of what you want out of the movie is, do you want it to be realistic or do you want it to be a kid story? Because mm-hmm. for me, I know a lot of people hate it, I love the production design and how things looked in this. Yes. It felt like what I read on a page of it felt like when we get to Wonka's factory, 
this is a different world entirely. This is weird, wacky, and there are no rules. Um, also, quick side tangent of something that really annoyed me. Uh, I have a lot of positive about this movie, but one huge negative. What is the most famous scene in the original Gene Wilder Willy Wonka? It's the one that's not in the book when they go down the tunnel and yes. Wilder just goes uh, bat crap insane. Yes. Tim Burton, you are insane and you do weird and creepy stuff. How do you not do anything with that scene? You literally don't touch it at all. You don't do, try and do your own spin on it. They just go down the tunnel and that's it. I'm like, come on. That's the one thing I think Tim Burton could have done well was the weird decapitating chicken and a leech crawling across the woman's face. So like, come on, Tim Burton. You know you want to try and one-up that. But, um, dude, we got the uh, the Cool Whip joke. And that literally kills me every time. Everyone knows you can't make Cool Whip with it unless the cow's been whipped with whips. <laughs> it's so stupid. It's great, though. It's so but great. The production design, I'm looking at it going, okay. In the original one, where they get in the candy room, I still think that one looks better. Yes. But then when we get to the Chaco River, the Gene Wilder one, it looks like Detroit water. Yeah. Whereas this one, that's chocolate. Yeah. That is melted chocolate coming down from a factory. That looks a lot better. Um, it looks like a Tim Burton movie, for better or for worse. Like some people, that's not going to work too well. But for me, it reinforced this idea that this is a kid's story and it's like not realistic in any sense it's supposed to be whimsical and out there and weird and wacky yeah because the rules do not exist in wonka's factory um it's now the world outside is kind of weird but it's it's actually relatively normal for a tim burton movie when everything is bizarre and creepy yeah um but he has this clear distinction between Wonka's factory where there are no rules and you can still kind of tell what is edible and what is not. Um, like you could tell looking at things, okay, this is what that's kind of looks like. It might taste like, um, or like when we get to the everlasting gobstopper room, like, ah, this looks wacky and weird. Whereas in the original, it kind of looks like an unfinished set because it was, um, so, some people will like the aesthetic of the original better because it looks more realistic. I'm not going to say I like this one better, um, but this one feels more like a children's fantasy story, and I kind of like that approach, and I definitely respect Tim Burton for that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm probably – you're probably going to disagree with me on this, and that's fine. That's what we do on here. Um, my number four is the- – is the music. Um, I normally greatly dislike Danny Elfman scores. Um, but I felt like you've been saying, because this is a, a children's movie for the most part, it felt very whimsical. It felt like otherworldly. Um, and I almost say it while I can't always understand what they're saying. I, I got to turn the subtitles on. I really enjoy the Oompa Loompa songs. <laughs> I really wanted to like the Oompa Loompa songs. Um, I like the idea that um, each Oompa Loompa song is from a different like decade of music. Yes. But you're right. I could not understand whether it was the sound mixing that they had or mm-hmm. the vocal singer who was doing it. That took 
that takes away from it for a little bit for me. Yes. Of like there's the simplicity of the Gene Wilder ones where you can understand. And some of us know the songs by heart. Um, but this one was like, I, I like the tune that we're going for, mm-hmm. but I don't, I can't really understand or process the words that we're saying. So yeah. that kind of takes in, it away from me. In, a in bit. general though, the way that they come about the Oompa Loompa songs, I really enjoyed because there is a certain air over they each bring, one and the characters actually like acknowledge it. Yeah. Uh, they address it. Yeah. Like, Hey, did, is this rehearsed? This feels rehearsed. Did you know that going to happen? Uh, that, that is one of the negatives for me of, uh, they hint the movie can't make up its mind of, is this a contest or no of does Wonka, is he like sorting these kids out? And did he know ahead of time? Like, uh, in the Gene Wilder one, it felt like Gene Wilder was like doing the moral test because, you know, that's the point of the book is it's supposed to be a story about morals. If you're a good person, things work out for you. And if you're a dick, you get punished. I always, even reading as a kid, it was never explicitly stated, but I was kind of inferred that Willy Wonka was magic and yeah. the tickets, the tickets went to specifically who they were supposed to go to. Um, and Charlie was always supposed to win. What I don't like is it seems like at least to Wonka and how Depp portrays it is when the kids start getting picked off, it seems completely accidental to him. Like, oh, yeah. Whereas the Gene Wilder one, you can kind of think that he's planning and scheming something. And... He's trying to test the morals of every character, and that's why Charlie wins, because he was the good moral character. Whereas this one, if you look at it, Charlie literally just lucked himself into a factory. Yep. By being the last one standing. That's it. There's no moral test. They try and give a moral test at the end, which I'll talk about this now. I was going to talk about it later, but I'll talk about it now. It's loyal to a book. To the book, except for whatever the heck they did at the end. Like, you got the factory, but you have to leave your family behind. Say what? That's like a complete 90 degree from the book and the original movie because it doesn't really make sense. I mean, it Um, makes sense. It it has to make like, it has to reinforce that Charlie is the good moral character. I'm just going, but why did you just do that in the factory like we know the story to be? Because it, it was an odd choice. See, for me, and I'm going to talk about this more later. I think this story is equal. The movie is equally about Charlie as it is Willie. As it is Willie, because there's. I'll talk about it later. But there's a lot of decisions, obvious decisions that they do make, that makes me feel that they're trying to tell two stories at the same time and in order to give Willy Wonka some more depth, I guess, you know what I mean? Like, so that he's not just this big magical character. He's actually someone who goes through things, which is a very Tim Burton thing to do. Um, so it's not just a good moral character, not necessarily going up and having any challenges, but I don't know. You know what I mean? I, we'll, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but yeah, it's uh, at the end of the day, my number four <laughs> was, was music and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, move on from there. Fair enough. What's your number three? Um, I'm kind of 
going to tailgate off of your number four and say that I really appreciated how this movie was shot. The film, the camera work was, was done very well. I thought that, I don't know if you caught on, but once we get into the factory, like really starting at the factory, every time they go into a new section of scenes, uh, like a new section of the, uh, of the, of the factory, each section of shots starts with the character that that those scenes are about. For example, at the at the opening hmm. at the opening shot of like when they go into the into the uh, into the factory, the, one of the first shots faces we see is a close up of, of Charlie, and then so on and so forth. And once we get into the big candy candy room, the first shot we get is a close up of uh, Augustus face. The nut room is a first shot. It's every single time is a close up of each person's face on what room is going to affect them. So it's like an obvious like, hey, watch this person. It's this is their test time. Hmm. So I, I appreciate it. There was very subtle things. Um, I liked again while I couldn't always understand them. I liked how the Oompa Loompa sh- songs were shot. I liked how those kind of where they felt very whimsical again they're also different i'll give yeah, you that they, were they felt different, different. It, it felt like there was it felt like there was hundreds of oopaloompas in that factory like it was which is easier to cgi those than have I several agree. different actors i agree and so they definitely used that to their advantage because at that point it was like oh cool so there's all these oopaloompas i'm down with it yeah like to the point like i think he could take over the government if he tried anyway but um Yes. Yeah, I, I liked how the movie is shot. It's, there's a lot of very subtle things, some very Tim Burton things. Um, but yeah. And it, what's interesting, too, is sometimes um, whenever – I'd have to go back and rewatch it. But whenever they have an adult, once they're in the factory, whenever they have an adult on screen, I don't think it's a straight-on close-up. I think it's a close-up, but it's – angled up like it would be charlie looking at them mm. I, I would need to go or back any one of the other kids confirm but for i'm like every every single willy wonka every scene close up that i can think of right off the top of my head that wonka is in is shot from from an angle looking up hmm never noticed that my number three is the only thing that I'll like stand on my podium and say this is definitively better than the original, and that is the um, the rest of the grandparents besides Grandpa Joe. Yes, because in the original, as much as I love the original, they are just there to be bodies in a room. Yeah, I swear some of them don't even have dialogue. Um, this one, all three of the other ones have personality, like. Um, Grandpa George, like he's kind of the dick at first, but then he's the one that pushes Charlie to go to the factory and be like, "No, this is what she wanted. Go pursue your dream. We're too old now." Or yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I burst out laughing when uh Grandma Georgina. They're just like, "What is it, Grandma Georgina? Dragonfly!" <laughs> like just delusional old people talk uh, like and like it, they're like do you know what we're talking about <laughs> nope uh, but 
like they were actually they had personalities and fun to them like yes there's still old people that live in a bed permanently but i could tell them apart as opposed to the original of grandpa joe you have personality and are credited into the credits watch the credits again the grandparents aren't credited in the movie um but you could tell them apart and you could tell the rapport as a family there's more of a family unit which i'll talk about this later but there's a very critical family component that I was so happy to see in this one, but I'll, I'll talk about that later. Um, but yes, I liked the grandparents so much more in this one. Grandpa Joe, I'm not sure if he's better in this one or not. Um, I don't think he is. <laughs> in no. fact, I think he's almost worse. <laughs> um, what You did your number three, correct? Yes. Okay, then my number two is Grandpa Joe. Yay! Um, Why? He, he's not better than the original by any stretch, but there is one major key change that they make, not just from the book or from the original movie, because neither of them have this, but I think it's a completely warranted and a change for the better. Grandpa Joe working for Wonka. Yes. They don't actually end up going with it anywhere in the movie, like when he meets Wonka, and I'm kind of pissed about that. Like, that would have been some good resolution. Um, But it explains so much of how does grandpa Joe know all this like inner working of Wonka stuff? But if he worked there, that makes so much yeah. more sense. Well, and um, him, him being expelled for being fired and him being like the line I think he has is I would love for one more chance just to go see the beauty of that factory. So it was like, okay, that makes sense. I'm okay with him being like all of a sudden when the opportunity is given for him to go into the, into the factory, he's like, yep, absolutely. I can walk again. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, the original um, Grandpa Joe is definitely better because he's more of that classic old man. But this one, he's got a little bit more spunk to him mm-hmm. and a little bit more energy. Um, he's just different. But I, as supporting characters go, I really, really liked him. Now, uh, I want to throw out a quick honorable mention. Just, just barely missed my top five. And that's Mike TV. <laughs> um, there's two changes that I really like with Mike TV this time around. Is I love the fact that he's obsessed with video games instead of TV. Because that fits more with nowadays. But also, I love the fact that he broke Wonka's code. He cheated to get the thing. Mm-hmm. Not even cheated. He was just smart enough to figure out of... Oh yeah, just use math to figure out where logically where one of them would be. It's just statistics and probability. I'm like, that's cool. Smart kid. Good for you. You should run the factory instead of this idiot. Because <laughs> Charlie's fine, but come on. He's going to be the one in charge of it. Anyway, because uh, <laughs> at the end of the day, like, because then that brings back to the conversation about so did Wonka is Wonka magic and did he the tickets get to exactly who, to who they were supposed to? So it's I like, think Wonka is magic in the original book and in the original movie. I don't think he's magic in this one. I, yeah, so like it, there's that whole conversation to be had. Um, that was your what number two? Yeah, yeah, that's my number two. What's your number two? All right, you ready, Charlie? I will not say that he's better than Gene, but nope. Get out, get out, get out. <laughs> there was a depth, <laughs> depth, <Johnny> depth, 
to what he what Tim Burton's Wonka is trying to do. Now, okay, before you write me off, let me explain. Okay, I already have. I know, I know. Just hear me out. I started to see him after like the first or second time where he kind of like has like a like almost a Tourette's uh, reaction to um, the word parents um, that he is more of a less, like we said, he's not magic, like in the original, in the book or in the original film, he's more of a tortured genius. So because of what's and so to explain that in old Tim Burton fashion, they give you the backstory with his dad. So then because of that, you see why he, he, he hates parents you see why he wants to wants to be alone and why he thinks that you can't run uh, a factory with a family behind you so while yes it comes out of nowhere at the end it makes to me seeing the journey that wonka himself has gone through in the movie it makes sense for him for the final piece for him to be like oh family needs to be a thing I'm sorry, dude. I thought that you could just do this on your own. So, I mean, while he is nowhere near as good as Gene, if if he is in fact, because that's the this is the tone that I got from him. If he is a tortured genius and not some magic chocolatier, um, it makes more sense. It makes sense that he's like he would act like. When when the when the kids get picked off, he would act more like, oh, well, I don't know. That's a surprise to me. Hmm. Like, but even though he's doing it on purpose, he, he's, per, he's we think, huh? We think like it never feels purposeful. Yeah, this time it's, around. The, the, the thing that I, the only thing I can think of. And again, like I said, I said, I said to you, I texted this to you when I, when I uh, finished watching and showed you my notes and stuff like that. I was like, there's a chance I'm overthinking this because this is just a Tim Burton movie, but it's also, it's a Tim Burton movie. Um, The fact that he he might just be like presenting the things that will tempt these kids the most, because I mean, Charlie doesn't really present anything right off the bat that would be like, Oh, I can tempt him with this to test his, like, like we were talking about, test his moral character. Cause like he know what the first room he takes them to is the, the fudge river room. So it's like, well, yeah, that's going to tempt. He's going to put gloop in front of the very thing that's going to tempt him to go nuts and see what happens. So while I, while I would, would agree, I don't think either of us can can definitely say he did all this on purpose. It, it, you know, he he orchestrated all this stuff. At the same time, I wouldn't put it past him if he's a tortured genius to be like, well, I'm going to put this in front of him and see what happens, especially if he's looking for an heir. But see, I never felt like he was looking for an heir in this movie. It just was like, oh, you're the last kid here. Yeah. Okay, here's your lifetime supply of chocolate. Oh, yeah, I had a gray hair, which, again, I think Johnny Depp was kind of miscast here because, really? Johnny Depp's going to find a gray hair with that wig? <laughs> this is Johnny Depp, bro. Uh, yeah. Um, But also, uh, on paper, I get what you're saying about on paper, the Wonka character could be interesting. I thought Depp's portrayal was a little 
inconsistent of like and I'll, I'll, that's what I was just yeah. it's like sometimes I was like wait are you loopy are you planning this and maybe that was Tim Burton's interpretation of the wackiness of Wonka but I always read Wonka as smartest guy in the room who pretends to be a little zany and out there to which is kind of sucker you in yeah. but this one is just like at times he's the CEO of a company and other times he's like mentally the stupidest person in the room and a small child yeah and it 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 was inconsistent but also more than anything ridiculously unfunny like there's a yeah. lot of times of moments that they're just like this is where you're gonna laugh at wonka i'm like no i i would like a restraining order from wonka please because he's gonna he's gonna come after my oompa loompas I, I, my favorite line is from Willy Wonka in the film, though, and that's his little bit about cannibalism. It makes me laugh see, every time. That, see, that joke got played to death for me from the trailers and everything. That's like the one of the few lines that I knew going into it. <laughs> um, but Josh, what's your number one best thing about Charlie and the Chocolate Factory by Tim Burton? I don't know if you're going to agree with me on this, but I think Charlie is the best thing about this film. I disagree, but I don't hate that decision. I would say, and maybe it's also because of the kid playing him, because he's fantastic in almost everything he's in, even to this day. But by and large, Motel, I, think, isn't it? I think he's better than the original Charlie. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I, I see. I think he is because he's granted and I'll give you this. This Charlie doesn't necessarily get tempted at all. OG Charlie, like, and that, that's always the issue that I had with the original Willy Wonka is that Charlie's like, I won, man, I won. And he's like, no, you broke the rules. So like, I did. Well, also that Charlie though was still leaps and bounds more realistic. I guess it does come back to the whole, do you want a kid's book or do you want mm-hmm. realistic? Because this Charlie is like freaking Jesus. He does he no wrong. Nothing phases him. But also, unlike Jesus, to me, this Charlie was like a damp cloth because he doesn't really have emotions. Freddie Highmore has been great and stuff. He's a great actor. He, this character, I thought, kind of felt a little one note of I'm the good guy. What's your character traits? I'm the good guy. <laughs> like other, I thought some of the supporting characters were, had better personalities. Like Veruca Salt actually, I thought had more personality. Veruca Salt, uh, Violet Beauregard, Mike TV. I thought they actually had more personality and a better performance than Charlie. See, but you and could... were more well-rounded characters. This Charlie just felt like I'm just here to be the good guy, but there's not, he doesn't really, and with the original Charlie, you got behind him because he had struggles. This one's just like, hey, we're poor and broke, but that's okay because I got my family. Whereas the original Charlie's just like, it's not fair. I want I want a better life for us. I want to win because I care about Wonka's like no one else does. So you feel that connection more. The kid has actual you feel it because he is has some flaws, not like Daniel LaRusso flaws, in which case he's secretly the villain. <laughs> um, but like he feels human. He has different emotions. He's sad. He cries. He's overjoyed. Um, 
Freddy Highmore's was just, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> this is cool. Chocolate doesn't have to have a point. I'm going, oh, okay, dude, you've had too much of that special grass by the river, but okay. See, and I disagree because I think there's a, again, I, uh, this is the running conversation throughout this film is that did you want a, chil- a ch- like a children's film or did you want like a a big whimsical adult, like half adult, half children's adventure? So, I mean, uh, see, because there's certain things that he says, like like the, the candy doesn't have to have a point to me. Which kind of comes out of nowhere. <laughs> yes, but no, because if you look at the kinds of candy that Wonka has made uh, in the film up to that point. Why would you make an egg that has a chocolate bird in it? That doesn't make sense. But candy doesn't have to have a point because it's whimsical. It's just there to be enjoyed. Hmm. I don't know. I, I personally yeah. – I the reason I think that it, the personalities of the other kids are so obvious is because they have to make them so obvious. they got to beat them over your head so that you know, hey, this is this guy's problem and he's going to get caught for this. Yes, but I like that in, for this movie they updated some stuff. Yes. Like um, Veruca Salt, you could tell when the original Charlie and Chalk Factory was written that like gum chewing was like some big – Hmm, that's not really polite. Whereas nowadays, really? Gum chewing is her vice. It gets her blown up to the size of a balloon. What's funny or... to me is uh, that that uh, gum chewing, um, the trophy, uh, genuinely freaked me out. It looks so weird and so un- made me un- so uncomfortable. You're going to see it in the next Firefly Funhouse segment. Stop, no. <laughs> um, so this thing, this movie change some stuff from the book but by and large my number one is holy crap this movie for better or for worse is so incredibly loyal to the original book it is not even funny like there's so many little things in this movie that as a charlie and chocolate factory fan with the original book i was so happy to finally see it done correctly that i had to take notes of like Ah, this is what the original didn't have that was in the book that Tim Burton was just like, okay, yeah, we need to put this back. For some reason, why is it that in the original Gene Wilder movie, Charlie's dad is for some reason either MIA or dead? Yeah. Is he for sure? I love that his dad is alive in this. It feels like a family. It feels like a cohesive unit. Also, it reinforces that the family is still working. They're still trying. They didn't want to be in this situation um i love that his dad is alive not only alive but they got his job right too of i twist caps on at the uh toothpaste factory that's exactly from the book i got real excited when grandpa joe was just like this is the story of prince pondicherry i was like yes we're actually gonna get that even though it's a really random side tangent in the book i was excited to see the prince that wanted to have a castle made entirely out of chocolate because that's in the book and looking at the pictures in the original story i was like uh, that's kind of creepy and unsettling that fits tim burton perfectly um yeah i was excited to see prince pondicherry and that whole story because it's like ah you finally got it right also another thing that really bothered me in the original um Willy Wonka. It's a super weird nitpick. But do you remember the scene 
where Charlie has already had his birthday gift, but Grandpa jo- uh, Grandpa Joe just pulls out a candy bar from underneath his pillow and goes, Charlie, let's try one more time to find the ticket. Um, Grandpa Joe, how did you get that? You're bedridden. <laughs> Whereas in this one, they follow the book correctly of, hey, Charlie, here's my money that I used to use for smokes. Go to the store and get us a Wonka bar. That explains how they got that Wonka bar as opposed to just magically showing up. Also, thank God you got the candy right this time. Like, if you look in the background, they're all the correct names for the different Wonka candies. And there's a whole bunch of different stuff, like the Scrum Diddly Amptious Bar or the, oh, it's like a marshmallow Whopper thing that they have. It's not, for the love of God, he doesn't get, they're not called Wonka bars. That's something different. He opens like a Fudge Mellow Delight. Or something. That's the actual correct candy bar. So that little attention to detail made me happy. Also, you put the correct size Oompa Loompas. Oompa Loompas are supposed to be very wee. And I just went into Gerard Butler and how to train your dragon there for a second there. They're supposed to be tiny. So I appreciate that there's they're tiny and there's a bunch of them. And seeing Wonka collect them from their country, that sounds horrible, but that's kind of what he did. Um they talk about that in the book of they come from this weird and foreign land. I appreciated that quick little glimpse of this is where they come from. They worship the cocoa bean. Look at this one. Dance creepily with a cocoa bean on his head. And it looks like they're sacrificing an Oompa Loompa, but we won't talk about that. Um, or like the, for some reason in the original movie, it was the golden goose room where she falls through the chute. They get it right this time around of it's squirrels with nuts and it's a bad nut. Um, and she chases after it and gets carried away by the squirrels and one of the squirrels literally kicks her dad in. That's exactly how it's supposed to go. All this weird and wacky stuff. It was weird and wacky the first time it came out. And I appreciated that they went all the way with it. Um, this time, the great ga- glass elevator looks like a great glass elevator and not a weird 70s sci-fi probe ship of here's some small glass panelings with like six buttons as opposed to what we got in the movie, which a weird slight nitpick. Uh, That elevator is supposed to be much bigger because in the great glass elevator, the entire bed from the house is supposed to be able to fit in the elevator because everyone goes on the adventure kind of like Bill and Ted style. Um, But the thing that I love the most is something that I really wanted so desperately to see in the original because it's in the book and it's one of the best things about it is people seem to think that the kids died in the wonk in the wilder version, which even though in the book and in this one, we see what happens to the kids. You've got my favorite is still Mike TV, who is back to normal ish, but he just turned into a minute bowl instead of really, really tall, but he's a stick or uh, you get Violet Beauregard, who is now a really good gymnast and really flexible, but perpetually blue. I appreciate it. Yes, these kids are not dead. They are just, they've been duly punished and they have learned the error of their ways. It's kind of, I get that the original movie is about Charlie, so we care about Charlie. I like getting some resolution with the other kids. Um, I said before, this book... And this source material clearly meant a great deal to Tim Burton. He went to extremely painstaking detail to 
recreate the book as accurately and as faithfully as he possibly could while still somehow managing to put his own flair on it. This movie is not for everyone. I completely acknowledge that. I don't even think it's entirely for me. It really loses me once we get to Wonka's factory, but there's still a lot of good stuff in here. And as a fan of the original book, I felt for the most part really rewarded by this, except for Wonka. Again, if it wasn't for Wonka, I think this would be a better Charlie and the Chocolate Factory movie than the original. But Wonka plays such a prominent factor, and I feel like that portrayal is just so off. Again, it's Neverland Ranch, Michael Jackson, and no one needs Neverland Ranch, Michael Jackson. No. But. Rock on, dude. It's, yeah, I mean, overall, it could have been a lot worse. Is it a little weird? You made it seem like it was. Yeah. It, well, going into it, when I told you this was our five good things, you're just like, oh, no. Is this because we did Catwoman? I'm just like, how bad can this be? I looked on Rotten Tomatoes. This is like 83, so I didn't, I wasn't expecting it to be that bad. And I'm not watching it again anytime soon, but still. Yeah, it's it's not something that I would watch often, but it it's not. A terrible film. <laughs> of all the way. five good things that we've ever watched, though, oh my goodness, this is leaps and bounds better than a lot of other stuff that we've watched. It doesn't go into the full drive angry territory of we actually end up loving it and we don't really have much to say that was negative, but it's a far <laughs> cry from like Catwoman or I don't know what. Josh, off the top of your head, is there anything worse we've done for five good things besides Catwoman? Maybe Outcast. You weren't with us for Outcast, so I thought that was me and Neslo. That was you and Neslo. Uh, I'm trying to think of one that you and I did. Outcast is pretty awful, though. Yeah, I don't. You and I always seem to be able to find like good stuff, but like then again, even Last Airbender. Yeah, except for Catwoman. Uh, Catwoman was bad. Uh, okay, we got to defend that real quick. Last Airbender by M Night Shyamalan is still terrible. Uh, but there's still- and we'll probably revisit it on podcast four. We should, but- we should, especially um, if Netflix whenever we ever find does out. the live action. Yeah, if they do the live action one, we will revisit it for you guys. Um, but Josh, you got any closing thoughts for Charlie and Chocolate Factory? I mean, at the end of the day, it's weird. It's kooky. It mysterious and kooky. <laughs> um. It definitely, like you said, it tries to do as faithful of a job as re, as bringing the book to life as it can. Um, while Johnny Depp is not probably your best choice, and he's probably the weakest part of the of the movie, you can make arguments that you know there was still a lot of thought behind his his performance. Um, there's a, there's both good and bad. Do I think it, this is a good a good movie? No. I don't think it's good, but it's enjoyable at times. So, I mean, yeah. were we able it's, to find five good things? I, I would say so. I mean, I, I don't think I'd we really say, struggled at all to put to five five good things for this. Honestly, I could probably put ten. Yeah, pretty easily. easily. I I didn't particularly enjoy the Wonka stuff, but as a Wonka fan, I was ha- I was at least happy to get back into the world of Willy Wonka for this 
five good things, if nothing else. Uh, what do you guys think? Let us know in the comments below. We always like hearing from you guys. And as always, if you like what you hear and you want to hear more, subscribe to us on whatever audio platform you're listening to us on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or I or YouTube. And if you haven't already, subscribe to us on YouTube at Uncharted Media. And as always, stay sharp, movie guys and gals.